Chaps, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Elm. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from I to Z. This is Adam. I'm not going to attempt a British accent because God knows what that was. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, mate. <laughs> yeah, it really no, you just on me. You just I, switched was... from like, you know, British to Cockney to like, I don't even know what. And it... If I do it, it's going to end up sounding Australian, and it's it's just not going to go well. I think, and this is just this is just me. I'm Zach. This is just me talking. I think that Britain has done enough terrible things to the world that I'm allowed to make fun of Let's do their it. accent. Also, I'm very bad at the British accent, whichever whichever color of British. And accent in our defense, if we want to just like do pretend British accents like it's not like Chris Claremont does British accents very well in his comics like you know <laughs> Chris Claremont a man born in the United Kingdom uh, so you know if I try this I'm gonna end up sounding like you know a Monty Python character so um you remember that time that we were at uh the Chicago Comics and Entertainment Expo uh at a Chris Claremont play panel and i asked chris claremont a very good academic question about the extensive use of kink in in his uh in his work and he looked really embarrassed because his son was up there on stage <laughs> with him with like his son doesn't know and he said i'm british, I'm british. and then he tried to avoid the question <laughs> and then our friend ian asked him about his feelings about the movie the exorcist being jesuit propaganda it was amazing really just like a series of hard-hitting questions that, that Claremont needed to hear instead of just telling the story about when he met people from SNL that one time, you know, like. <laughs> and yet that, that entire time he was like, who did I write? Who did I write? It was, oh no, because someone asked, someone asked, hey, Chris, what are your thoughts about the character Silver Samurai? And Chris Claremont's thoughts on the character Silver Samurai are thus. He is a Silver Samurai. <laughs> That was don't know don't know nope. what more you that needed was about from it. That, that was about it. Oh. If if you ever get a chance to go to a Chris Claremont panel at a convention, you should do it because they're always just it's an old man yelling. Listen, Zach, and that's by the time sometimes. I talk to you for our next episode, you will have gone to probably another Chris Claremont panel because you're on your way to C2E2. I am on my way to C2E2. I will be returned from C2E2 by the time this has gone up. Uh, which is uh, a good and great and great and good and a good time for all of us. Uh, I'm excited for it. I'm slightly nervous, uh, but I'm also just like, you know what? It's going to be. Yeah, you're going to have a good time. I uh, wish I could be there. I'm looking forward to seeing some great people. Yeah, I, I feel like I was just there, so I didn't, I'm not joining you. But, um, you know, you guys are going to have a good time. But we are talking about Claremont this week because we have a request for some Excalibur. So, uh, Zach, who made this request? This request comes to us from number one request asker, Robert. Uh, Robert went over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, said, folks, I like what you're doing. He dug deep, deep into his heart and his pocketbooks and tossed a couple of coins into our coffers so we can keep doing the show and keep doing 
uh, the fantastic work that is done over on comicsxf.com. So thank you for that, Robert. Uh, you're a gentleman and a scholar. And you wanted us to talk about this week uh, Excalibur 62 to 65, uh, the uh, Return of the Yeah, Warpies. so Zach, for listeners who may not be familiar with their Captain Britain uh, history, who are the Warpies and where are they coming from? And like, who are these creatures? <sighs> okay, so Adam, are you familiar with much captain i mean i've read a little bit of it um i can't say i'm an expert um but from what i understand the warpies were living like in captain britain's basement or something like that and now they've been co-opted kind of (laughs) sort of you you know about mad jim jaspers jim jaspers is the reality warping um uh sort of brother of the the braddocks right jamie braddock or no jim jaspers is the other guy nope Jim Jaspers oh, is the different one. But he it's does the, the same one. thing, right? Jim... <laughs> Listen, Jim Jaspers does the exact same things as Jamie Braddock. And it's very weird that they are both so both connected Jim. to these stories. Jim Jaspers is an, Jim Jaspers is an anti-mutant uh, politician in... Not anti-mutant per se. He's anti-superhero. Uh, Jim Jaspers of an alternate reality did create the fury it kills superheroes. Right. Uh and he warped all of reality in a thing called the Jasper's Warp. It's, here's the thing. It's frankly, it's Alan Moore's dry run at uh, Watchmen and Miracle Man. Mm-hmm. Tells the same story a couple times. He's doing the same thing. All of them very different. Uh, anyway, you don't need to know any of that except for that the Jasper's Warp caused some weird, not mutant, but kind of mutanty things. And they called them Warpies. And then, since those stories were never published in the U.S. Uh, during their initial run, and uh, not until like a decade later, no one knew anything or cared anything about them, because that all may as well have just not happened. <laughs> but Alan Davis did write that story, and when he was on Excalibur, he said, Well, darn it! I'm not going to forget that story, even if everyone else does. Right, so uh, these the Warpies have returned. Now they're working for a secret government entity called the RCX. And they are being led by this dude who kind of looks like a, a priest. Is What's his name? St. Peter? Yeah, he's St. Peter. Peter. Agent it's Nigel Peter. Orpington Smythe. Yes. Yeah, Agent Peter. Agent Peter. Uh, it's, it's Nigel Orpington Smythe, everyone's favorite British character. Yeah, I mean, he really has a fan following. And, uh, you know, I was... <laughs> I was reading this and I was thinking a lot about that Legion arc that we just uh, read from Spurrier, because this is another one where our heroes are being brought into a a situation when being told over and over, everything's fine. There's no secret plot here. There's no evil people. Just help us, you know, and and we can be your friends. And uh, it doesn't go well. Yeah, the thing about RCX is that they had inherited the roles previously held by FI6 and WHO and STRIKE and would eventually be superseded by Black Air, as we all know from our British history. And then I believe MI6 actually becomes the like final thing of that. Regardless, it all gets it all gets tied in to this. And Excalibur, uh, they get tied into some warpy action. Yeah, and uh, the reason that they're asking for Excalibur's help is that the warpies are starting to lose their powers and become human. 
and uh, there's a suspicion there's a you know another agency that's working on depowering them. Uh, our characters are are concerned as well. Captain Britain is not feeling up to uh, snuff, even though that's completely unrelated and has something to do with Roma and losing uh, some powers in other world. So um, you know, Nightcrawler's game. He's a nice guy. He's like, I'll help out, whatever. Um, but that him and Kitty quickly realize, mainly Kitty, that uh, not all is well at RCX, and that this dude is a really creepy colonist, like racist booger who just wants to reestablish the British Empire across the globe. Which is bad. <laughs> no kidding. It is. Uh, so you get you get some stuff. Did we? Yeah. Alan Davis writes and draws this with Mark Farmer on inks, Glennis Oliver on colors. Uh, and they have a big fight, and they save the day, and then Phoenix comes back. Yeah, uh, and along the way, we get Warpies, we get the Cherubim, um, including Giggles. <laughs> there's just so many, like, wacky... The Cherubim are also Warpies. There's there's five different Warpy teams in this. There's the Sky Pilots, the Cherubim, the Advocates, uh, the Seraphim, and then there's another Warpy team that's not named... Alan Davis is throwing a lot of Warpy-based continuity at you in this arc. <laughs> and I do believe your enjoyment of this arc is going to be based on how much you care about the Warpies. I don't know if that's as true as the fact that you have to be on board for Alan Davis's nonsense. You know, like, he is invested in drawing these wacky, funny-looking characters. Like, one of them is not Joy Boy, but straight up looks like a, a peanut covered in flesh on like a little mojo spider pedestal and you know <laughs> listen a flush peanut a flush peanut is not the type of thing that i am particularly interested in but i could see the appeal for others but you can you can see how a lot of these characters are just fun alan davis creations pulled right from his sketchbook you know like because at some point all of our excalibur characters are paired up with other Warpies who can depower them and each one of them has their own name and their own design and their own costume. And you can just tell that Alan Davis is having a lot of fun here. And frankly, I'm enjoying it as well. Um, there's some wacky and frankly, very beautiful stuff with Rachel floating off into space. The Rachel stuff is unimpeachable. It's great. It's perfect. We love it. Yeah. And I, I think if, especially if you are a Nightcrawler fan, you will very much enjoy this arc because it is showing off his character and his leadership um, as he is trying to be as empathetic as he possibly can to this situation, but also realizing that this is not the this is not correct. Something is wrong. Here's my problem, Adam. Yeah, and we've run into this with other comics like Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X Men. Mm -hmm. I've got a specific limit of nonsense that I can deal with on a day to day basis. And this story uses up its nonsense quotient <laughs> in the first issue. Okay. And there's four more. So by the time you get to like the, the last issue where they actually drop in some of the Marvel UK characters on a TV screen, like how are you feeling about that? <laughs> I looked at it and said, none of these are Deathlock 2. Or Death's Head 2, excuse me. Yeah, it is. And Death's Head 2 is the only one that I know about. Like, Adam, have you read Dark Angel? 
I, I know I know the X-Men did appear in a lot of those Marvel UK stories, <laughs> but did you read them? Because I sure haven't. I did not read. I believe the uh, title was called Hell's Angel, and I don't believe that. I, it, Dark Angel and Hell's Angel, they had to change it at a certain point. I think it originally was Hell's Angel, but the Hell's Angels, Hell's Angels have a... Yeah. <laughs> they, they do have one lawyer who rides motorcycles. <laughs> Threatened to slash some tires and some, you know, Achilles tendons. If there's... If one group I don't want to do copyright infringement against. <laughs> it's a group that definitely helped distribute a lot of meth in the 60s. <laughs> um, so yeah, I agree. There's a lot of nonsense. However, this is sort of in this realm. Like if you are a fan of this stuff, and I realized that like even as this was coming out, like you said, it would be difficult to track down the actual Captain Britain stuff to to even know who these characters are or what the history of them are. But I, there is a fun sensibility to this that I enjoy. Um, you know, for example, at one point there is a warpy that is very clearly, um, his name is wire and he is very clearly made to look like he's cable. Um, and so you can tell Alan Davis is having a little fun at, at his colleagues expense. <laughs> well, see, that's one thing that I do think is very, odd about this is that Alan Davis, and this is true for Alan Davis's entire tenure on the book, but feels especially true in 1993 when all of the other X-Men books are coming off of Executioner's Song, mm -hmm. and Alan Davis is sitting here with his silly Warpy story. Alan Davis is writing a... Alan Davis is writing a 1980s Marvel comic, not a 1990s Marvel comic, and I don't necessarily hold that against him, but... I do think this particular arc suffers probably the most out of all of Davis's arcs uh, with that disconnect. Possibly because I don't, I don't care about Captain Britain continuity. It possibly has something to do with that. Possibly has something to do with I don't care about any Marvel UK continuity. Possibly has something to do with the story's kind of just an excuse for him to draw a lot of things. Yeah, but I think for that reason, I'm enjoying this a lot more than you are. I'm not concerned whatsoever about the continuity of the agencies or who these Warpies are. I'm just having a really good time with Alan Davis and his silly like creations. Uh, and uh, there are many. Like We get to some pages and there's like 30 characters on a page. And Alan Davis is like, yeah, no sweat. I got this. I'm going to draw these little gremlins and it's going to be great. And... Um, you know, he gets a chance to do Micromax. He gets a chance to do Kai Lun. So if you are into, he, he's got Cerise here. So if you are into these like bananas characters, I think, I, I don't know. I'm trying as much as I possibly can to um, reopen my mind to this book because I think I've, you know, thought about it negatively for so long. And when I go back, especially to this Alan Davis run, I realize that it's not a piece with what is going on in the time period, but I also don't care. I think it's a lot of fun. I would, so, and this is the difference between you and me, I think. Because my thought is, you know Kylon, you know Cerise, you know Micromax, you know Farron? Yeah. Hate them all. I don't oh, really? Okay. I mean, I, like, Farron is pretty Cerise terrible. Cerise is the best. Farron's terrible. Micromax is terrible, but Micromax is terrible in the way that if he would have won the X-Men election, I would have laughed so hard it's not even funny. I would have thought that's the best thing in the world to have this absolute disaster of a character beyond the X-Men. I can see the appeal of that. Yeah. I don't 
I don't get Kylun. I don't under. I don't see the appeal. I don't know. It's just like. Yeah, but I he, don't know what he's doing in my X Men books. He it's well. Here's the thing we have to remember about Excalibur is that it is, you know, is very much still rooted in a those Captain Britain stories of yore, right? But it's also rooted in sort of like this this fantasy time travel, like all this weird stuff that they did with you know cross time and having you know nightcrawler go off and hey we're gonna have knights in this issue and we're gonna go off to alternate histories in this issue and we're gonna have nightcrawler be a fantasy um you know john carter on mars in this issue and i i feel like it does all work like if if you read the stuff that lobdell does immediately after davis like it's very clear that there's a tone to this book and this is it and other people do not understand how to do it. I don't disagree that Scott Lobdell is bad at writing Excalibur. I just don't know if this is where Alan Davis's Excalibur works for me. Oh, that's fair. I mean, there there's a nice chunk of Alan Davis Excalibur, and I I think that part, a, a huge part of this for me is not even the story. It's just the fun of what Al, Alan Davis is just an amazing amazing artist and watching him davis is great watching him play and have fun like this is is a blast is this like the the peak is this the the biggest highlight probably not but it's also just it's still fun i think it's still okay well we've spent nearly 15 minutes arguing (laughs) if alan davis is good or not and i knowing our audience Knowing our audience, I have a feeling that there are people who are not thrilled with some of the some of the choices that I've made in this episode, <laughs> i.e. saying anything bad about Cerise, who is, like, maybe the fifth best Shi'ar character. Maybe. Fifth best. Wow. Yeah, okay. Okay, so you've got, you got Lalandra. She's got number one? Deathbird. Deathbird's number one, right? Xandra is better than Cerise? Yeah, I guess. I would say Xandra's better than Cerise. Well, Xandra's yeah. dead. Uh, Isn't Xandra dead? Xandra is resurrected. Okay. All right. Oh, right. You need to read. No, she is. You need to read I saw that. X-Men Red. Hey, folks, if you haven't read X-Men Red from last week, go go read X-Men Red from last week because it rules. <laughs> Just that's unrelated to any of this. There aren't even there's not even Shi'ar stuff in that one, but go read that. Also, uh, Gladiator is a better sure. character. Yeah. I would I would even say the Mad Emperor to Ken is a more interesting character. Okay. Uh, th- th- these are good characters. I- I'll give you that. Um, all right. We should probably get into ranking this. Oh, yeah, because we rank comics on this podcast. We, we don't do. just We don't just say bad things about Alan Davis books uh, to, to the fact that it is going to cause us bodily harm in the future, I'm sure. Uh, we are ranking X-Men comics from best to worst. We have ranked 660 nice issues. Wow. X-Men, not issues. We've ranked... Several more than that in terms of issues. Oh my gosh! Never, Can you never did the count. Did... Never did the count. Like, let's assume on average three issues a line, and that's overcounting some, undercounting others. But let's just let's just take an average of three. We're darn we're darn near two thousand individual issues Easy. of comics that we've covered, Easy. Adam. Easily, that's too many comic books that we've read. Well, right we there. don't read them all at once, uh, you know. It's been a few years. <laughs> uh, it's been been just a couple of couple of years. Here. We'll talk about that later. Uh, an era. Mm. Um, no, we we uh, rank them from best to worst. Uh, the best X Men story is the House of X, the Powers of Ten. Don't at me. Uh, the hundredth best X Men story 
is the Hickman New Mutants. The 200th best X-Men story is X-Infernus. The 300th best X-Men story is Champions number 12. Uh, the 400th best is Bishop's Crossing. Uh, that's the time the Bishop crossed. Uh, the 500th best is Generation M. Number 600 on our list is New Mutants Volume 2, 7 through 12, The Ties That Bind. That's the time that Rain, the werewolf lady, did sleep with one of her students. Uh, and 669 is the Draco. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. All right, so why don't we start with... She did it, not me. It wasn't me. It was Rain. Ugh. We don't have to... Just complete character and assassination. That already right. had... It already had its episode. It's fine. Yeah, we don't need to relitigate. Um, All right, is this better or worse than Bishop's Crossing? I don't think we'd be relitigating it. We'd be t- saying that it's bad still. <laughs> okay, that's true. We've reached our verdict. I want to. I want to. I want to be clear. Number seventy on the list right now is the Righteous Return of You Know Who. Uh, that that's the Righteous Return of Alan Davis. Mm. So that's at number seventy. This isn't nearly as good as that. No, is this better than Bishop's Crossing at four hundred? Well, okay. Well, for us, yeah, this is better than Girls' School from Heck. Yeah, I don't like Girls' School from Heck. No, this is much better. I think. Um, is this better than Skinny of Souls at three seventy seven, X Men seventeen to nineteen? Look, when I said that it was not of a piece with its era, I didn't necessarily mean <laughs> all the things in its era were better than it. Skinny of Souls is not very good either. Okay. All right. Uh, but is this better than at 353, The Fall of Avalon? I mean, art-wise, it absolutely is. That is not Paul Smith's best. Uh, I I Paul would Smith's say best. this is better, but I think, I don't think this is better than Schism at 349. Alan Davis draws this better than Alan Davis draws Schism. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yep. So... This isn't better than the Savage Land story in Marvel Fanfare. No, I think they're they're about the same though. Like that that's we're right about at the same point, you know? You know what? I think I think right below that's at three fifty right mm-hmm. now. Below that at three fifty one is the Astonishing X Men uh start of Lose arc with uh both North Star's wedding and all of the stuff with Karma's family, and I think that is better than this. Yeah. Uh I would I could I could give this the edge over the submergence of japan uh x-men 118 to 119 i agree so can this is going to be our new 352 it will be our new 352 it's excalibur the return of the warpies yeah uh and if you don't know who the warpies are it doesn't matter they are not going to come back this episode however we are still going to cover two more classic excalibur stories we are the next one we are going to uh, cover comes from the era of Inferno. This is right at the start of Excalibur. This is Excalibur six, and we're going to go straight through number eight because number eight kind of acts as a coda uh, to this whole event. Uh, it's it's the Inferno stuff. Yeah, you know Inferno. We did a whole Inferno episode back years ago. Y'all should know about the Inferno. That was year one, I think. Right? I think we're... that was our first. Halloween. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've been slowly patching up the, uh, <laughs> the odds and ends of Inferno that we have not covered. And this is definitely one we've left uh, hanging out there. So this is Alan Davis and Chris Claremont, of course, uh, with uh, Mark Davis and Glynis Oliver. Is it? No, it's Paul Neary. Oh, I'm sorry. And Glynis Oliver. I'm sorry. I got the, got the inker wrong there. Um, yep. 
because I think Paul, I think Paul Neary's inks are actually pretty critical to Alan Davis at this time. You know what? I think I just, I, I think I just squished their names together. That, that's what I did. I did a bad. Um. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Number eight is drawn by Ron Lim with Joseph Rubenstein and John Wilcox. Yeah, can we get that one out of the way first? It's very bad. It's. It's the story of Captain Britain walking around in short shorts and Megan uh, assuming every you know characteristic of folks she's walking around with, including African Americans okay, on a basketball listen, court. Listen, it makes perfect. Okay, I'm gonna say this, and I want to say this very precisely. Okay, go ahead. It makes perfect logical sense that the fictional character Megan does not understand that. Uh, doing brownface is a bad thing to do. Mm. Go ahead. Megan, the character, would not understand that. Right. And I can appreciate that innocence. Yes. Christopher Claremont, <laughs> the real person who wrote this comic, absolutely should know better and didn't. And that's that's a rough one. Yeah. Uh, this, this whole issue is just like a denouement from Inferno. It's wrapping up a few of the loose ends. It's setting up some stuff. As they move forward, Brian's dealing with the fact that he's so far away from the British Isles that he doesn't have his powers very good right now. Mm. Uh, everyone else is just doing some things. Yeah. It's so fine. let's not talk about that one anymore. It's bad. Uh, however, six and seven, an absolute blast. I was talking a minute ago about Excalibur's comedic tone and how it's a very silly book. And one of the things that I've said previously on this show is that Inferno, the part of Inferno that doesn't always work for me is the cartoony stuff where it's like, hey, it's Ghostbusters and everything is coming to life and there's jokes. Ha ha. Um, we finally have a book where that actually kind of makes sense. Like of all of the books for characters to encounter talking cars and mailboxes that eat people, it would be Excalibur. And here... It's a lot of fun. It's adjacent to fun. Uh, again, and I don't know if this is me or what, but there, there's parts of this that I'm just like not as into as maybe I would want to be. I, I understand what, what they're trying to do. They're having everybody face their fears and then do this whole media thing where they're like, talking about movies and all this stuff and making gags about that. But I also just don't like a hundred percent get the joke that they're trying to make. Well, I mean, I don't know that Inferno really understands what it's doing either other than riffing off of Ghostbusters, but you know, here at least they're, they're having a blast with it. So, you know, Rachel uh, gets turned into a mannequin a la the, uh, the eighties movie mannequin except in reverse, and a goblin who works for Nastir uh, is going to marry her and get the power of the Phoenix Force, which is, I think, kind of funny. And then Kitty and uh, Brian get stuck inside of, like, a parody of Stallone, Schwarzenegger, horror. Uh, the second issue has Brian basically as, like, a, a, a combination of Jason and Freddy chasing uh, Kitty. And I don't know. If you are a fan of 80s pop culture, you will probably enjoy these two issues just based on, like, the references that are here. Okay, here's the thing. I've watched Stranger Things. I understand the references. Did you just that say doesn't... you understand the 80s solely via the show that references the 80s? 
Yes, Adam, I was born after <laughs> those times. Oh, no. You need no, to remember, no. Adam. You need to remember. We've been doing this for years. You know this. I know. You know this. I'm old and not, creaky, I... and you're a baby. I get it. Back to Inferno. Yes. There's fun stuff happening here. There's a gargoyle that looks at Nightcrawler and becomes his friend. And we have to dif- differentiate between gargoyles and demons. And uh, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, I think that if you are a fan of Excalibur, you are a fan of Excalibur because of the silly tone that it is taking right here with issues like these. And I don't know. I find it enjoyable. I, uh, I, I like how Forbidden Planet got a, a hole blasted through it and it now has like an actual portal to an alien planet with a UFO on it. Like, that's, that's cool. What I'm starting to wonder, Adam, is if I don't actually like Excalibur as much as I thought I liked Excalibur. I am starting to think that uh, I have been converted and you have been left at the bus stop because... <laughs> That's wild. If, if people want to know how our lives had changed in those years, man, that, that sure tells you a little bit about it. This is... It's odd. Like, there's stuff I like. I do think some of the storytelling... Can be tighter like megan is an empath right but her powers have never been like well defined mm-hmm. so they they do just go in here assuming that you know all of megan's deal yeah and that why the moment they get into new york she immediately turns evil like she's the first person like i feel like there's some structural things about establishing what inferno is what is going on that these comics do not do as well as they could I do think Dominatrix, uh, Goblin Princess Megan, is a very fun turn for the character. Yeah, I, I enjoy everything that's happening here, and I don't think it needs to be over-explained because they assume, just like you know, it's the biggest publishing uh, event that was happening at the time, that you're reading it. So they're not going to over-explain it. Excalibur is never really part of the story. The only reason they're here at all is because Rachel has the link uh, to Nathan, and which ties back to, uh, you know, their their initial meeting, and uh, that's about it. You know, they they hear they they go on this misadventure, and then they gotta head back to you know, Grand Old Britain. I guess. No, first first they have to stay in the United States so Kitty can go yell at the New Mutants in a bizarre. Scene. Yeah, that that sucks. Where she's still yelling at them <laughs> about being kids, and they're like, "We're older than you. Shut up." Yeah, it, I feel like at a certain point, Danny would walk over and say, Catherine, we are the same age. <laughs> you are older than Rain, and you are older than Bobby. And that is it. Yeah, so please just stop your yammering. Could you, could you chill? Could you chill for five seconds? Man, Kitty Pride has no chill. Hey, is this the issue where Kitty Pride gets turned into a baby wearing a diaper? Yes, by Rachel, because Rachel is thinking about a baby. So when she um, breaks through all four or five floors of the uh, lighthouse that they live in, she transforms Kitty into a... Well, she's not a baby. She's just dressed kind of like a baby. You remember all that thing that we said at the top of the episode yep. about Chris Claremont at conventions? Being weird. Yep, this is it. <laughs> and then Alan has to drive I made this it. Joke. He has to draw it, I mean. I made this joke on Twitter the other day. Uh, Chris Claremont and John Byrne are both perverts, but they're both very different types of perverts. Yes. That's, that's probably very we should, true. 
Man, we should rank this weird, horny Chris Claremont comic. Yeah, I think this is a lot of fun. I like this better than the Warpy story we were just talking about, but I don't think it's going to rank nearly as high as the other installments of Inferno are. I like it uh, better than the Warpy story. Mm -hmm. I agree. So... Uh, Where do we have Inferno at? The lowest Inferno we have is... uh, Well, no, the lowest Inferno we have is what if... uh, Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires during Inferno. Yeah, that one's rough. The main arc of Inferno in X-Men and X-Factor is in 126. Okay. Yep. Uh, this is this goes this. Uh, the mini Inferno from Power Pack, you know, the, the Inferno dry run? Yep. That's at 232. And the Battle World Inferno is at 237. I think Battle World Inferno is better than this. I would agree. I, I think that's a, a lot more cohesive. Um, I do still think this is, this is fun. Uh, it is good, classic... Uh, Excalibur here so I guess I'm just curious where we want to go with this Um, is this better than 261 Wolverine Ghost Rider Punisher Hearts of Darkness no it is not Uh, because you know I love that book I do that's the one I can always use to get you I can always be like Adam (laughs) is better than this and you're like I mean it's not like but right below that is Cap Wolf this isn't better than Cap Wolf no no, it's not. Um, might be better than X Men Origins Jean Grey at two eighty eight though. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's this is not as good as two eighty two, which is Marvel Team Up one forty nine, which is that issue where Cannonball has to buy his mom. Oh hat. yeah, yep, yep. I I think this is on par with the uh, Generation X Volume Two issues six and seven, where they go to the supervillain auction. The auction. Uh, I think this is yeah. I think that's the right spot. This would go right between then. Uh, that Marvel team up in that Generation X story as our new 283. Nice. All right. So uh, let's go to our final story, which is going to be a true test of uh, your love or their uh, or something else of Excalibur, because we're going to talk about the first issue, not Excalibur number one, but Excalibur special edition number one or whatever this is called. The sword is drawn. Hey, can we take one small diversion about Excalibur number one? Yeah. Why don't more comics that aren't Excalibur or Excalibur-based comics do a riff on the cover to Excalibur number one? Because that cover rules. I mean, you get a bunch of them in Excalibur, and there have been other artists that have played with that design, but you're absolutely right. It is killer. Like, that should be a legacy cover that people are constantly homaging. I don't understand it. It's really easy to do. There's just characters standing there in a, in a formation, you know? Go for it. If we're if we're going to if we're going to have Lenil Francis Yu out there doing characters standing <laughs> in front of the cover in like going backwards. At least we could do it like Alan Davis did it. Like Lenil, just do a riff on this one time. It'll be better than all the rest of them. Hey, speaking of great covers, the sword is drawn cover where we have the uh, the Excalibur team fighting against TechNet and the Warwolves is fantastic. It, it really shows off how good Alan Davis is at you know movement, at at characters interacting, at expressions, at character design. It's just killer. Why do I like TechNet so much more than the Warpies? Um, that's a great question because they're really they are a little bit different, though. You know, I think that the the design of TechNet is probably a little more sophisticated than some of the Warpies stuff. 
um, at least especially the more minor ones. Plus, you know, once you've seen TechNet and then you see, like, you see Joy Boy, but then you see uh, Peanut later, you're like, oh, Peanut is like Joy Boy Volume 2, you know? Kylon is definitely just Alan Davis redoing Pharaoh from uh, from TechNet. Oh, from TechNet. No. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, you, you, you know, the guy with the fencing swords. Um, now... The guy that looks like Kai Lund. Yeah. yeah. What, what's interest, always been interesting to me about The Sword is Drawn is that I always felt like, especially at 48 pages, that this might have been, and I, I don't know this to be true, was it was it considered for a Marvel graphic novel, uh, you know, to have an intro like New Mutants? Because it, the coloring is, you know, definitely a little bit different uh, process than you see on the regular issues. And the the art is is absolutely gorgeous in this book. The art is the art is fantastic, and I believe it. I don't know if it was meant for an OGM, but it is a perfect bound edition. Mm-hmm. And what they were able to do in terms of printing uh, color on those was less limited than what they were able to do uh, with uh, standard comics uh, of the time, or at least what. I don't know if it was a limitation of the format or just a limitation of the budget. Yeah, I don't know, um, uh, but it, it, it is interesting. But this looks so much better. Like it, the the colors, like just the fact that Glennis Oliver is like, I'm allowed to do a little bit more. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, this is great. I'll add some gradients in here. It's gonna be amazing. Yeah, it looks like there might be some colored pencil work, some watercolors in here, and uh, it is ravishing. Um, so we are really getting, uh, the team all set up here and, uh, Nightcrawler and Kitty had kind of been in stasis for a while from uncanny and now after the meet and massacre, right. And now they get sucked in to, uh, the captain Britain mythos with Megan and we get the return of Phoenix who in a great opening to this story does seem to still be like linked to Mojo World and Mojo Studios um, because we open with this fantastic double page spread of the Aussie team uh, on a movie set with Professor X as the director. I love this. It's a gorgeous scene and it really does pick up right where we left off in that never published Rick Leonardi, Chris Claremont uh, (laughs) Phoenix miniseries. Yeah, so for people who never heard us mention that before. Can you give us the rundown on, on what the general gist of that was? Cause that was what was supposed to happen after Rachel was brought to the body shop by spiral. Yeah. You remember, you remember when Wolverine told Rachel that she wasn't allowed to kill Celine. So stupid. He would rather die than let her kill Celine. Come on. She can't be, she can't be stained with the same blood that's on his hands, Adam. That would be so, so rude. stupid. She's just, she's just a child. <laughs> Just a, a child from an apocalyptic man. future where Wolverine has been blasted to bits in front of her eyes. Like, come on, Wolverine. They're just innocent men. Oh, my God. No, no. It's, we've already talked about that story. It's not a great one uh, in, in our view. Yes. What was supposed to happen, and this was announced in, like, the trade stuff uh, of the time. And, you know, some work was started on this. Uh, but Chris Claremont and Rick Leonardi were going to do a miniseries about Phoenix that never came to be. Right. Uh, I think Leonardo got busy, and then blah, 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 life goes on. Sometimes things don't happen. It's fine. Not all projects go through. Marvel was just a heck of a lot more cavalier about announcing projects back in the 80s. <laughs> uh, anyway, 
something was supposed to happen with the Phoenix and Mojo World and maybe some Shadow King stuff. Who really knows? It doesn't matter. She escapes from the body shop and she's like, I gotta figure out where my friends are. The X-Men have all fallen and follow the mutants and are dead. Nightcrawler and Kitty are not happy about this. And oh, wouldn't you know, as they go and talk to Captain Britain, who is Betsy's brother, who Betsy died. Captain Britain, going through a lot right now. He's deep into his alcoholism, mm-hmm. which I believe was established in, like, Spider-Man stories. Really? I think it was... You remember when you remember when Brian and Spider-Man were roommates? Yes. Yes. It was in that. I, I don't know if that was Marvel Team Up or one of the ancillary Spider-Man's books. Okay. Uh, but they, they did... Uh, hold on. It was Marvel Team Up. They were only roommates for a little bit, too. Anyway, he was drinking a lot. He continues to drink a lot here because he's sad nightcrawler literally throws him into the atlantic ocean and says listen i need you sober for this i don't i my friends died too i'm not happy about it but my other friend who's still alive needs help because a large blue woman has just appeared and i'm horny and scared and i need to save my friend it is pretty great. You know, we get introduced in very short succession to all of our main characters. We get uh, introduced to the werewolves who are like really creepy and are, are wearing the flesh of these, uh, you know, Mojoverse versions of the X-Men and then pop out through their mouths. It's totally horrifying. Um, we get the tech net. You know, they're also... We get Opal Luna Saturnine. Opal Luna Saturnine shows up, so we're getting the the other world. Kitty Kitty is taken oh. by Opal Luna Saturnine. Oh, definitely. I mean, In if a, you want it, to... It's to a level. It's so amazing to me that people could ever deny for a second that Kitty was into the ladies because it's right here on the page. Like, come on. Some of us, some of us, Adam had poor reading comprehension at certain points in our lives and have since rectified the situation by actually reading things and talking to gay people. Hey, that was not uh, a judgment against you, sir. Uh, It was the larger reading community. Um, So by the end of this, I think that, uh, you know, Captain Britain is like very selfishly saying, all right, I'll see you later. I got drinking to do. And uh, the rest of them are pretty... Uh, Nightcrawler and Rachel especially are like, wait a minute, we just had a really cool team up. Why are we going to let this uh, stop? Let's uh, let's live in this lighthouse and solve, you know, supernatural weird stuff. And they do. And that's the beginning of Excalibur. And it is just gorgeous. I mean, the detail, Alan Davis is always great. I mean, even his latter stuff, it, it's, he's just such an amazing artist. But the, the, pencils on this are so tight you know the expressions every lock of hair is in there and he just gets these characters in a way that immediately makes them memorable in in a way that i think this is probably how we remember these characters uh the the most even though kitty and nightcrawler and rachel had all been drawn by multiple artists beforehand alan davis draws a heck of a story and chris claremont Tells a fun story here. Like, I like TechNet. Yeah. Yeah. I like the Warwolves. I like this plot where they're like, okay, well, everyone's been captured. Like, TechNet, here's here's where I think Excalibur works. Excalibur works when it is balancing on the head of a pin between superhero action book 
and funny farts. Mm-hmm. And I think it can be very easy to go on one way or the other on that. I think there was auto there was too much of a correction to superhero action stuff after Davis and Claremont were no longer on the book. Uh, and it missed some of the whimsy. And I think in some of the stories that we talked about earlier, maybe too much whimsy for me. I think it's perfectly balanced here in The Sword is Drawn. There's there's a mix of weird, crazy stuff, like the entire existence of Joy Boy. <laughs> Joy Boy, who might be... My, my three-year-old son crawled up onto my lap as I was reading this, and Joy Boy was on the page. And he was like, what's that? And I was like, it's Joy Boy. He's like, that's a baby! He said... I'm not going to explain Joy Boy to you. It's there's there comes a time in everyone's life when you need to explain Joy Boy, and it is not now. <laughs> oh, these are really delightful characters. I mean, you, they're almost Jim Hensony in the way that they just you know have these weird uh, affectations and, and strange powers. Like, um, what's the green guy who like vacuums people body, body bag? bag? You know, vacuums you up into a slime ball. Uh, so you, waxwork is gross. Oh, they are. They're kind of gross, you know. China doll and scatter. I actually, low key, I I love the scatterbrain design. Like that's just that's just a very good design for a superhero. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you compare these to you know the design of the Marauders, for instance, uh, in, in uh, Mutant Masker, I think this is a much more fun and inventive team. Um, so. Really enjoyed this a lot, and uh, if I'm looking at our list, I think this is probably top fifty. I was going to, at l- I was going to say, Adam, that this breaks the top one hundred for me because it is better than the Hickman New Mutants. Yep, definitely. Look up the list. Just, just take a look. You know. I, okay, so I'm looking here. I'm gonna. What I'm gonna do is start at forty and look as we go okay. down. Trial of Magneto is better than this. Havoc and Wolverine Meltdown's better than this. The first arc of Generation X is better than this. That dupe one shot from Wolverine and the X-Men that we covered on our first issue episode of the podcast is better yeah, than this. I don't this. think it is. Keep going. Dead Souls is better than this. Mm-hmm. Prisoner X is better than this. Grand Design is too high and we both know it. Uh, the first arc of Ecstatics... Uh, well, the X-Force arc of Ecstatics. The New Mutants Inferno is better than this. That's the best part of Inferno. Cable Past Fears, a comic that I have a page of right there where Cable's hugging his daughter, is better than no, this. it's not. It's absolutely not. I mean, we have to keep in mind that this is establishing a classic roster and doing it in such style and, and beauty. Uh, I mean, hats off to the amazing artwork and uh, the great writing in that Cable arc, but it does not hold a flame uh, no pun intended to this. I mean, this is fantastic. This is classic. I if I if we're gonna go I, somewhere, I would say maybe the ceiling is the New Mutants Arc of Inferno because that is absolutely the ceiling. This is not better than the New Mutants Inferno. Yeah, I think that that hits the emotional beats. And now that I'm looking at it, I'm, I'm wondering if that's maybe a little too low on our list um, because I think Adam, this this list this list is a series of compromises. I know, I know. Changing I know tastes over the entire game Again, X Men Grand Design is at forty six right now. Would we put X Men Grand Design at forty six right no. now? No, we we, we did recency bias on that one. Um, we we messed up, but I do think I would put this at forty nine. You know, I I love that cable arc, but I think that this is very pivotal 
and you know not only what the publishing angle is is for these books um but what these characters are and who they're going to be for the future for decades this establishes who kitty pride is you know in a way that maybe we didn't really even understand previous to this you know the same hold on hold on of all the ones you're picking kitty pride is the one that you're absolutely no i'm serious rachel rachel is redesigned Kitty is Rachel. Fine. Yeah. Kitty, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. You're insane for saying that. Those were strongly established well before this point. I, I'm not saying they weren't strongly established. I'm saying that this is still going to be the the most memorable version of these characters for for like the mar- majority of readers. I think when people think about Kitty Pride, obviously they think back to her interactions in their early days of the X Men, but when we picture her, we're going to picture Alan Davis drawing her playing with a computer. You know, we're going to picture her with Lockheed by her side, drawn by Alan Davis. You know, if Paul, da- if, if Paul Smith is the quintessential Uncanny X-Men artist, Alan Davis is the quintessential artist for this particular set of characters, undeniably, I think. Okay, but Nightcrawler's there and Dave Cockrum exists. Yeah, but... I. I, I get that 100%. And you know I love the Nightcrawler Mini, and the Nightcrawler Mini is going to be higher than this. But I still think that if you think of one artist to go along with Nightcrawler, I think most people are going to think of Alan Davis. That's a wild choice. But I'm not going to fight it, because right below this is All New X-Men 1-5, through five, and this is probably better than All New X-Men 1-5. through five. So I will concede uh, that this can go above Cable past Fears as our new number 49 on the there you list. Go. And I think this episode has proven that uh, I have really warmed up to this book and you are giving it the cold shoulder. <laughs> it is. It's so it weird that odd. this is the dynamic. Because I think, I think it, when we started, the, the show it was probably completely reversed. Adam, when we started this show five years oh my ago, God. which folks, folks, this episode does uh mark five years of doing this podcast we started it on august 7th 2017 a heck of a lot has changed in our lives in the world in our tastes Mm, it's true i actually i actually before before this episode was recorded today i had to run out and grab something so i said you know what i'm gonna put on the first episode of the podcast just i hadn't listened to it in five years hold on adam Listen, it could have been worse. Oh, Honestly, sure. I was expecting a lot. No, no, no. Worse. It's it's not like unlistenable. It's just so different than what we sound like now. I then pulled up the last week's episode, uh, just because I wanted to get that immediate like gut yeah. punch. We are much more comfortable. Oh yeah, uh, come with, on, with the rhythm and flow <laughs> of this podcast after five years. Even if you go about ten uh, episodes in, you you'll, you start to feel good. You know, we, there is there is a there is a distinct point of differentiation and it is exactly when we realized wait what if we themed the episodes around a thing we figured out what our that's show when was. that's that's when we were like that was such an obvious choice that we didn't make right at the <laughs> beginning and we were so close because the first episode we have two god loves me kill stories it's amazing we almost had it oh. oh anyway but i say all this to say two things one for anyone who's listening or has listened in the past Thank you so much uh, for your support over the last five years. Uh, it's kind of wild how many people have jumped on and 
I've been recognized by my voice at conventions and stuff. It's not something I expected to happen. And it really does mean a lot to me that there's a lot of people who are out there enjoying this week in and week out. And as great as all you listeners are, even more important to me is getting to do this for five years with my friend Adam. This has been so great, Adam, and I'm so glad we've gotten to do this for this time. Yeah, I mean, five years, it sounds absolutely insane, but uh, it really hasn't felt like that. And it's been really enjoyable. I love doing the show. Listeners, thank you. Um, if folks are interested in more Excalibur content, uh, weirdly enough, um, the Oh Gosh Golly Wow podcast um, hosted by Anna Pepper and Claremont Run and God, I always forget the name of the third host. I apologize, sir. Um, they are covering the Warpies arc right now. And on Comics XF, our best X-Men stories continues with uh, Anna Pepper's um, awesome write-up about Sword is Drawn, and do not miss that. That is a tremendous piece. It's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely go check that out. We've got that and much more over at Comics XF. If you want to keep the home fires burning, you want to keep us uh, running over there, uh, maybe toss a couple of coins over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash comicsxf. Uh, hey, maybe if you do that, we'll uh, do an episode all about a comic of your choosing. And folks, um, because this is the first time we've been able to say this in a while, due to people not responding on Patreon for whatever reason, uh, we're like the closest we've ever been to being able to get you a suggestion on here. Like we are now only like six months out. So get a, get a Patreon and, <laughs> and jump in there before everyone else uh, does because these spots are going to fill up fast. I love that six months out is like the opening that people might be waiting for. <laughs> Adam, it was previously like two years. Yeah. We had a bit of a slowdown yeah, and on it's... some things and then 30 people not respond. By the way, if you're one of those 30 people who uh, has subscribed either now or in the past and you are a lapsed uh, Patreon subscriber... I have your name written down here, so like, I'll, you let me know. We'll we'll slot you in, nice, nice, uh, real quick. I'm not gonna read out all your names. It's thirty names. <laughs> if you're one of the, if you're sitting there mad, like, well, I never got my reward. Maybe, maybe you didn't check your messages because there's, again, there's like thirty of you. We want to do a show for you, so check your inbox and maybe your spam in case it went there. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. Here's the thing, folks. If me and Adam have to go back to picking these episodes on our own, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That either. doesn't sound fun. No. I don't want I want I want someone to say here's one decision that you can make and then me and Adam saying what's the dumbest way we could do this cuz that's how it works. <laughs> that is 100% true. We ju- we just set up like the next couple of months worth of episodes and several things were well this will be a dumb thing to talk about. <laughs> I love comic books so much. <laughs> Adam, anything else you got going on? Uh, folks, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Um, a couple weeks from now, I will be a guest on the TV Trivia Pod, um, and I'll let you know when that episode is. I uh, had a conversation slash trivia questions about the absolutely terrible Will Ferrell movie, Land of the Lost. Uh, it was a fun time, so when that comes out, I'll make sure you guys know about it. <laughs> And I, had the, I had the opportunity to watch that movie for free once in a movie I am theater, so and I sorry. chose not yeah, to. Yeah, it's, it's real bad. Um, so, uh, Zach, uh, what are we doing next week? Adam, as was foretold, the sword is drawn 
And do you know how many swords have been drawn, Adam? Twenty freaking two. <laughs> Buds, we've drawn a lot of swords. <laughs> and we're going to talk about Ten of Swords and other sword-based content next week. Folks, we're back to being a swords podcast. You <laughs> thought we were done. You thought, you thought two years ago we had quit being a sword podcast. But you know what? I've never taken down my framed picture of Pogger Pog. I've never done that. I've I've been here with the swords since day one. <laughs> it doesn't matter that at C2E2 2020, I tried to convince friend of the show Chris Edelman to also buy swords with me so we could be sword people, and he said no, the coward that he is. <laughs> that was the right decision, Chris. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm imagining what my... If I came home and be like, wife... I have sword. She'd say, what are you doing with your life? Please go sleep in the car. It's, it's why I have instead chosen to, to have framed our, our Fogger Park, who is himself a sword. I like that. That's that's better. It means sword, sword, sword of sword. Yep. Sword the sword. Excuse me. Folks, I love Ten of Swords. It's, spoiler alert, it's going to do well on the list. <laughs> I can't wait to revisit it. Until then, folks, this right here has and will always be battle of the atom and we hope you survived the experience Get it!